Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. As a guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days in the field. This show is about translating my hard-won experiences into tips and tactics that'll get you closer to your ultimate goal, success in the field. I'm Remy Warren. This is Cutting the Distance. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you've been starting to plan and think about some of your spring hunts. Last week, I did a countdown of my top five favorite spring hunts. I got some interaction and some people debating what the top five were. I know I keep thinking about that list and it constantly changes in my mind, but uh, maybe, maybe it's inspired you to maybe plan out a spring hunt for yourself. Now, for me, I'm completely aware that it's only spring for half the world. South of the equator, just coming into fall, as a guy who's chased the fall the majority of his life, normally this time of year, I find myself in the South Pacific getting ready for the red deer roar, getting ready to maybe chase some tar or the croak of the fallow. Uh, it's, it's one thing that I, I really am passionate about. And obviously borders being closed and things what they are. It's the first time in a long time last year and this year that I've had to sit out that season. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm not thinking about you guys down there and not thinking about some incredible hunts that I've had in the other fall. So this week I'm going to be doing a top five countdown of my favorite South Pacific or March through June fall hunting season. But before we go there, I really want to share the story of what ended up being my best fallow buck with a bow. This week, I actually just got back um, the mount of my best fallow deer thus far. I, I took it with my bow a couple years back in uh, 2019, and it was just before 
everything shut down <laughs> before the world shut down for the whole epidemic. So I got this mount back and it's just been like, I've been kind of looking back at pictures, watching some video of the hunt and reliving that memory of what I think is one of my top and favorite hunting memories. You know, you go through and you have all these hunts and there's just some that stand out for various reasons. I think as a hunter, that's one of those things that's so cool about having antlers. Like I'm looking where I'm recording here. I've got like this little uh, dog kennel that I've converted into a podcast studio, <laughs> not little dog kennel, not like the kind you put in the back of your car, but it was a, a dog run for, um, uh, a while. And now I've kind of converted it into a miniature office podcast place. I've got a lot of my antlers here and I, it's just something, you know, as a hunter, a lot of hunters can associate with this. It's like, it's cool to see that mount, to see that skull, to see those antlers and just relive relive that memory. And so when I got this mount back, it was just like all the memories of that hunt flashed back. For me, fallow deer is just like, they are so freaking cool to hunt. I've hunted them quite a few different places, but some of my favorite places to chase them are in in New Zealand and Australia. One of the places that I like to hunt, uh, it's kind of a more more central part of the country. uh, And it's got just like very similar terrain to what I experienced where I grew up hunting in Nevada. I think it's pretty much the same latitude, longitude, just on the opposite side of the world. But uh, it, it's just got like this open feel, big rocks. Um, instead of sage, it's replaced with uh, wild thyme. But it looks like if I was to take a picture of that and take a picture of the place I grew up hunting, you could almost stitch the two together and it looks very similar. Because of that, it, it's very reminiscent to me of mule deer hunting and the ultimate spot and stock game. When you think about open country mule deer hunting, there's there's this inherent challenge because you really can't employ a lot of other tactics other than spot them, exploit a weakness when you can, and stock in. One of the things that I really enjoy about this particular place, fallow deer hunting, is it's got all those things. It's got that place where I can set up in glass. It's got uh, you know some some rocky terrain and more mountainous type stuff. And then another good thing is it it happens to have some good bucks and some good rut action. On this particular hunt, I had been chasing. It's a private station, so I know the landowner really well. He's a good friend of mine. And I had the opportunity to hunt this place multiple years in a row. And it just goes to kind of show, like, most of my hunting I love to do is on public land. But there are some incredible hunts that are completely free range. Where it's managed, you, you really start to see the trophy potential of some of these places and just to be able to the opportunity to hunt something like that is incredible. So I, I I don't discount the fact that I'm very fortunate to be able to hunt this area, but because of it, you know, it's really cool to be able to go back year after year and kind of start seeing like, okay, what deer, what genetics, where are these deer coming from? Some of them kind of appear during the rut from places I don't know where. And then there's one particular buck that I'd been seen for three years in a row and had yet to get an arrow in. Um, he's probably going to start regressing. He had kind of these awesome drop antlers and just, just a giant buck. Uh, on this particular hunt, I found that buck again the uh, for multiple years in a row and thought, okay, I'm really going to focus in on getting this deer. So I uh, spotted him, watched him bed, stocked in, that stock didn't work. Then I ended up re-spotting him, stocking in again, and the, the first time I didn't blow it, he just moved off. So I ended up spending the rest of the day fine, like looking back into where I think he might've went and caught him bedded. He's just like, 
it was during the rut, but this buck, I think he's just that old age class where he's just kind of off on his own and then probably just rolls in, grabs a few does and takes charge of everything. He happened to be bedded below this cliff, like in this spot where I, I knew I could stalk in. Um, I, I take off my shoes. I sneak in. I get within range, and all I can see are his antler tips. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go around, get right above him, and get a shot on him. This is awesome. Like the wind's good, everything. As I'm stalking around, he had somehow got up out of his bed, unspooked, but just decided to do his thing. He's walking around the rock pile at the bottom. I look up and he looks over at me at the exact same time. It was just an, a matter of timing. I was paying a lot of attention to where he was and, and being quiet. And normally I'm always scanning, always scanning. And, and I was scanning, but it just happened to catch him. I was looking left. He popped out right. I look right. We're both looking at each other. He blows out. I try to stop him. It's no good. He runs off. I end up respotting the same buck later and uh, getting a good stock in. I stock in. Uh, everything's right. It's super windy. It's quiet. Uh, the sun's on me, but he's kind of down below feeding or he's bedded. And now I'm stalking in and I see the handler tips stick up and I'm like, oh, he's standing now. Well, I stand up and it's just the slope of the hill and the tall grass. It's really hard to like see exactly where he's at. I try ranging him, but I can't get a good range. So I was trying to actually range the tops of his antlers. I could see that I could probably shoot through the grass I get the range, I draw back, shoot, and miss. Just shoot right underneath him. And I think that I had misranged him. You know, it was probably 10 yards further than I thought. But the way the hill was and the brush that I was ranging through, I just didn't take enough. I didn't want to take any extra time because I thought he was going to get out of there. And I also thought that, all right, he's right here. This This is, you're good, man. Just draw back and shoot him. And unfortunately, I missed. It's like, oh, man, this sucks. That's a great buck. I continue hunting for that deer for quite a few days and never relocate him. So I'm kind of back in that same area a few days later and I, I hear some croaking and I'm checking this one Canyon and this, this bucks down there croaking a smaller buck. And then I hear up above me, just this real deep. <laughs> that was me trying to do my uh, croak without practicing first. But um, it's essentially like if you have never hunted fallow deer, it's this, it's this like grunt snort. I kind of think of it like a pig. So I go, and it's like, they, they do this croak. They get on these pads where they've dug out this dirt area, this rut pad where they've got their scent, very similar to like an elk wallow. And the bucks will get in that pad. They'll roll around, they'll lay and they'll start croaking. And actually a lot, it'll start attracting the females. Then they'll build up this harem and they'll kind of take control of the does and potentially, you know, hopefully a doe comes into heat and then they rut that doe. While that happens, other bucks are in there trying to, to steal his honey. And these, these fallow deer fight so ferociously. I think that out of all deer species that I've um, encountered, I think between those and Rusa, uh, there's some of the most aggressive like breeders, fighters. Uh, they, I, I've seen many, many fallow bucks dead fighting to the death. When the rut's on, it's a very aggressive time of year. So this buck's croaking. I, I work my way in, pick up my binos, and my jaw drops. I'm like, this fallow deer is an absolute tank. Quite a few years earlier, I'd been guiding, and there's a couple different score systems for international type games. So the one I like to use is a safari club system because it doesn't necessarily penalize you for what the animal grew. It's kind of it's a good way to compare apples to apples because you know you, you aren't 
discredited for maybe something that's a little bit different on one side or the other. And then there's the Douglas score system, which is is quite a bit different, but it's really favoring symmetry, very similar to our Boone and Crockett or Pope and Young club system. So I'm looking at this buck through the binos and I'm like, this thing is a beast. I don't know if I've seen a buck as big as this one. Even the one I was chasing before, I don't think was this big. And this was a buck that I had not seen before. He was the king stag of the hill. And a few years earlier, I had actually guided to what was the, or been on the hunt with um, the free range archery world record for SCI. And I looked at this, this stag and I'm like, this fallow buck is just, he's bigger than that buck. I knew what I had in front of me and it was a giant. So I'm like, okay, let me calm yourself. You've got to make this happen. So I, it's just pure open and I'm behind this rock and I'm like, okay, he's got a ton of does with him. He start like he's croaking and then uh, another buck kind of comes in and starts pushing this doe around. He doesn't like it. He gets up off his bed, out of his pad and starts going and, and starts pushing these deer. And I'm like, okay, I got to stay on them because there's so many folds in the hills and everything. He could just disappear. So I drop down and I get, try to, I'm thinking I might be able to circle around and cut him off. I get in this wash. I'm like running, trying to make sure I don't spook anything. There's other deer around getting into position. It's that time of day. It's like toward the end of the day. So I get up around and I see him once more going over the next rise. And they're just like running after these does, like pushing him around. He's running off bucks, whatever. So they go down. I start following down. I'm just like so thankful the wind was good. I'm moving down and I see his, his antlers, like uh, his big palms up above the slope below me. And then he, I lose him again. So I start, every time I see him, I'm making a play to stalk in there, trying to get the wind right. So I, I hustle around the mountain. I'm like, okay, I'm going to cut him off here and, and find him. I go, I'm moving quick. I'm trying to make sure nothing's going wrong, but I also want to get to that spot before where I think they're going. I get there, no deer. I'm like, oh man, did I lose him? It's almost that time of day where it's like, all right. So I'm like, okay, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, where could they go? So I start working down and into this next pocket. I'm thinking, okay, they didn't go this way. They either passed me or went the back the way they went, came from sort of. So I start working this other way. I don't see anything, don't see anything. I'm working down this like kind of craggy, rocky thing. And I, I see a group of does and I'm like, all right. So I throw my binos up glassing and then I hear this croaking echoing in the canyon below me well there's a lot of bucks around but maybe this is it so I I get set up and sure enough I see his antler tips down below sweet so I was self-filming I set my camera up uh, and I'm like all right (laughs) just wide shot crawl in I crawl in get to position he's like 60 yards out range him and he's now moving up and pushing the does he's like below me fairly close but I can't get a shot and so he, he works up the hill across and starts pushing those does. And he comes to this point where he's like broadside. I draw back, anchor in, shoot, arrow hits its mark, and the buck like runs uphill. I'm thinking, oh man, like what happened? But I could tell that he was so rutted up. I don't think he actually knew he got hit. It was windy enough. They didn't hear the bow go off. I think he just heard something. And then he sees the does running. He follows the does over the ridge. And I decide to let him, let him wait. The next morning I come back. And uh, sure enough, go over to where I saw him disappear. There's this little thicket there. Look in there, and there is the buck of a lifetime. Uh, for somebody that's pretty stoked on fallow deer hunting, just walking up on this and, and knowing that this was one that I took with my bow, not bringing someone else to, 
it was one of those moments that are few and far between. You know, I've hunted a lot of things. I've shot some really nice animals. Uh, I've looked for big animals in some, some situations, but for the most part, like I, I really enjoy being picky with fallow deer and especially because I have an opportunity to hunt a good place and to be able to take a buck of this caliber was just incredible. Later on, I, I actually ended up having the buck scored for SCI and he was at the time, the number one archery taken fallow deer free range, which was just like, it was cool because you're like, Hey, cool. But it was just a testament to what an incredible buck he was. And I'll never forget the first time that I laid eyes on him and now having him right here as I'm podcasting, looking at just this awesome animal. It's a good memory. And just one of those things that I can't wait to get back out there and see if maybe one day there's one bigger. If I never see one even close, I'll still be as happy as I am right now. Now that we've gone through our list of, of top five spring hunts, you know, admittedly, I have spent most of my life chasing the fall. And honestly, the only thing that could keep me away from heading down to the Southern Hemisphere to, to get into another fall season was a worldwide pandemic. And with cutting the distance being listened all over the world, there's no way I could leave out my friends just coming into that fall season. So I'm going to do a countdown of my favorite South Pacific quarry. Uh, I know things are closed to get over there for North America, but this may be a good way to about think about some hunts and adventures in the future. So this list was really tough for me. Uh, I had a tough time organizing it because if you ask me a week from now, it'll probably be different. There's so many things that I love to chase over there between Australia and New Zealand primarily, but there's also some great hunts in a lot of these species in Argentina and other places around the world. So let's just dive into the top five list. Oh, and before I get into the top five list, I know there's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of people out there that are going to listen to this podcast, a lot of my podcast listeners that are diehard Samber hunters. And I have not yet got to do that, that good Highlands Samber hunt. Uh, I was supposed to be going last year and I had plans to maybe go a couple years in a row once I, I know undoubtedly I'll probably love it. However, I can't add it to the list. So that's the caveat to this list because I know there's a lot of you out there. All right. So we're going to jump into the list starting at number five. Number five, I went, this was tough, but I went with Rusa. It's a really fun deer to chase. I like the aspect that they live in a variety of terrain, but I like that still hunting jungle type hunting. I also love how aggressive they rut and the way that the stags fight, but they can be like also quite solitary and fairly aggressive. I think it's a, it's a really fun hunt. They've got kind of that micro roar thing going on and just the terrain itself really lends it to a really fun hunt. Um, the, the few places that I have got to hunt them, maybe three or four different places, uh, has been all mostly that more jungle type terrain. And I really enjoyed that, that more mountain, really thick cover, thick country, finding those trails and finding those, those places where they're at. You know, I was fortunate to have an opportunity to chase some other roosts in, in a more open terrain. And that was really cool being able to watch how aggressive they rut in and around that, like more water aquatic type country, you know, roosts are, can be a very aquatic type deer. So if you get that opportunity to hunt that, that's pretty awesome. Seeing them go out and feed in the water and just like give you more option 
Um, what I did find is they can be fairly patternable. I know there's a lot of guys that set up and do ambush hunts for them. Um, but during when they're rutting, uh, just calling is a, is a lot of fun. I love that opportunity to just call back and forth. And, and they definitely made the list uh, coming in at number five. Number four, I'm going to have to give to the chamois. Part of me is like wants to put it at the top and part of me is like, okay, it's number four because one of the species that originally drew me to want to go to the South Pacific to hunt was the chamois. After I hunted them for a while, uh, you know, I, I started to see other species in a different light. They are a very beautiful uh, species. I mean, they are a very fun hunt in some aggressive mountain type terrain. And that like right there is the adventure and is the fun. I think one of my favorite ways to hunt chamois, um, especially when you kind of chase them with a bow, one thing that I found like a weakness of theirs is not only their curiosity, but they're just determination. I like to figure out like where they're going. If you watch them for a little bit, you'll see that they've got this route or wherever they want to go and then just trying to get in front of them and cut them off. They are very hard to change their mind when they've got something that they want to do. There's been times where I've been hunting. It's like, oh, they're going there and, and we move and get into position. And it's like, okay, oh, they saw me. No, they're going to walk either right through me or right past me, which is actually pretty cool. But they can be very difficult to find. Uh, you know, in New Zealand, they're, in the past, there's been a lot of areas where their numbers have been declining. And that makes it tough when they're, they're hard to find. It's actually more of a, in many instances, when, you actually, when I actually see one, in, especially in an area where I'm not expecting to see them, it's like, oh yeah, hunts on. I can't believe I actually spotted a chamois here. And, and I like to hunt them around that kind of like that fringe habitat where it's that cliffy stuff, but on the brush edge. Um, that's always a lot of fun to, to catch them in those little brushy guts, those brushy gullies, and then work up those little creek bottoms, especially in good chamois country. So coming in at number four, the chamois. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way that they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from planning your next one just got a whole lot easier download the fishing booker app on the google play or app store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today 
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Now we're going to move on to number three. I'd say number three is going to go to Red Deer. Of course, the roar is an unbelievable time. I mean, you know, just talking back and forth, roaring up a good stag uh, is fun. But if I was to probably pick my favorite time to hunt reds, I would say either early or late. I just find that it's more consistent to get into the more mature, bigger stags, especially early when they're on that feed pattern bachelored up maybe right after they strip velvet um, is a great time to locate them just more up in the alpine uh, early season and then actually after the rut can be pretty decent hunting for red deer in my opinion Uh, I'm kind of strange in the way that I would always hunt red deer when everyone else wasn't Um, because I I felt like during the roar it just got so much pressure a lot of people out hunting roaring you know out and about So I would go hunt something else while everyone else was hunting the roar. And then afterwards or either before or after I'd go in there and find the big stags after they're done rutting when they kind of pull off into this feed pattern, they'd get in these little isolated pockets and they're just kind of staying tucked tight by themselves and just feeding and rebuilding and, and, storing back up that energy that they lost during the roar maybe just kind of in a little pocket sulking by themselves because they had a a tough season but i find that that's a that for me has always been the best two times to find big stags but you know there's just something about hunting the roar communicating with an animal it's very similar to our elk rut here so of course i love that but um, those early and late seasons can be really really good for for picking out like a good mature stag. And I think my, the best stags that I've ever taken were always early or late. Um, but probably some of the most fun times I have would be actually peak roar. So I got to give the third spot to the red deer. Number one and number two really are interchangeable in my mind. And it's just, it, it just depends. I would say number two is because of the animal And number one is because of the location. So the number two spot I'm giving to the fallow. I absolutely love chasing fallow deer. Um, I don't know what it is about them. I think that they just seem to be this, this animal that is, is so tough. They rut so hard during the croak. I mean, they're, they're very vocal. They, they've got a little bit of everything I love. Uh, They're very reminiscent to me of hunting mule deer 
And I like that, if you, especially if you can find them in more open country. Uh, there's a few places that I hunt them in, in the open, but there's a lot of places that I've hunted them in that thicker bush. And it's really fun during the rut, when they're rutting, where they're, they're croaking, they're on their pads. They can be super, super aggressive. And you can kind of use all hunting tactics for them. You can use ambush tactics. You can use calling tactics. Rattle, I mean, rattling for fallow is a lot of fun, especially in some thicker stuff. I love to croak. Um, that's one way that during the rut that I've taken probably my best fallow bucks. But I think that that like, there's just something about chasing fallow deer. They're such a cool, the way their antlers grow, everything about them. I just love, and I'm addicted to hunting. So it's something that's always on my list. Whenever I'm in the South Pacific or anywhere where there's fallow deer, I just get fallow on the brain and I, I go full bore into chasing them. So they're, they're coming in right there at our number two spot. All right. Drum roll. The very final number one spot. I got to give to the Himalayan tar. I'm tar are just badass. They've got, it's a mountain goat with a lion's mane. They've got like this gorilla striped back. The way that they walk around and just stomp around, especially when they're running, it is just so cool. But aside from that, it's to the location. Uh, there's there's just something about where the tar live up by the glaciers in the real tough mountains. Every tar trip, in my opinion, has always been an adventure. It doesn't matter if it's just a day trip where I, I drive up and hike into a spot up a river valley or somewhere where we, we get dropped for a week from a chopper, like just a, a real remote backcountry spot, or just, you know, spending a week going up a river valley during the rut and just trying to pick out a big bull tar. There's just something about them that is just, it's awesome. It's the epitome of mountain hunting. You've got to be part mountaineer, part that's just like in that alpine, in that very dangerous terrain. There's just some real form of adventure with it. And I love that about tar hunting. And that's the reason the tar comes in at our number one south of the equator fall hunting season spot. Well, that concludes my top five South Pacific or South of the Equator fall hunts. If you're right now coming into fall, please share your hunting videos with me, your hunting pictures, your stories, because I'm just going to have to live vicariously through you guys. I, it's something that I'm, I'm missing. I never thought if you were like, hey, there's going to be a couple year span where you aren't going to get down there and get to chase some animals around. I'd be like, ha, yeah, right. Yeah, we'll see when that happens. Um, <laughs> so so I'm really missing that. I've been just like watching a bunch of videos and just kind of dreaming about the next time I get get back down there. So, yeah, keep keep me uh, frothing by sharing all whatever you've got. If you're, if you're a guy that's like, Hey, I, I hunt the U S I've never hunted that. You know, it's always, it's always a dream. I remember I was probably 13, 14 years ago. Um, bull tar, like it was one of the things that I just thought, like, I really want to hunt these and knew nothing about it. Um, it was back before there was any information on doing it yourself. Uh, I kind of just bought a one-way ticket and, um, got over there, bought a small vehicle. I called the tar car and really learned to like, just learned how to hunt those areas and, and just kind of cut my teeth on figuring it out, hunting different places and just kind of like going from hut to hut and backcountry zone to backcountry zone and, and fell in love. I, I, and 
from that point on, I pretty much spent uh, all of the fall season, southern fall season, um, chasing animals around, um, you know, kind of doing some guiding and some other things. And uh, it's just something that I, I'm really missing right now. So I'd be down there probably right now um, if it weren't for borders being shut down. So I thank you guys for everybody that shares stuff with me. It's always fun to see everybody's adventures and, and people getting out. And, and it's always cool to be able to kind of, uh, if you haven't done those things, dream about those things. I, I like to be able to think about hunts that I want to go on, plan and execute and make, make a plan for some time in the future, whether it's next year, whether it's when it opens or whether it's 10 years from now. And I think you guys uh, in the South Pacific, they're wherever that you're listening you know, I think that there's a lot of good information for you guys to come here. And, and I think there's a lot of cool opportunities for people from all over the world to kind of use social media and other things to, to share info, to learn about the way other people hunt and to potentially experience those hunts. And I think that that's really cool. I've got a lot of friends down there that have come and hunted up here. And I see more and more people from other parts of the world kind of reaching out globally once when we could travel across borders and trying new hunts and, and going different places and sharing information with the people that they meet. And that's, that's just the cool thing that I love about the hunting community is no matter where you are in the world, uh, we share something in common and it's our passion for the outdoors, hunting, providing for ourselves, harvesting our own food and having some awesome outdoor adventures. So uh, uh, that's something that I like. I like to see. Uh, next week, I'm going to be, I, I kind of, teased it last week, but I wanted to make sure that I covered some stuff, uh, continued the countdown to say, so I got the pack, um, or just kind of like a, a way that you can stay in shape for the hunting season. I'm going to get you ready physically. And then we're going to go into some other ways that we can prep for the season. But I think next week we're going to, we're going to jump into, I've, I've kind of got this whole system of the way that I've been training, especially because some of these big things that I would do, I'd normally be rucking around the tar mountains right now and wouldn't even have to worry about fitness or nutrition. But because I'm not doing that, I really, and I've got a lot of hunts coming up this, this, uh, September, October, even August that I, I need to be in top physical shape for. I'm, I'm just going to kind of share my training plan with you guys and ways that you can, no matter where you're at, flatlanders, mountain guys, whatever, can kind of simulate what you need for those long backpack type hunts or those rough country mountain style hunts. So that's coming up. Uh, remember, feel free to to shoot me messages or whatever uh, at Remy Warren on Instagram or Remy at the com. I appreciate you all. Until next week, uh, wherever you're at, find some fall or spring or something to hunt. I've had way better endings. We'll work on it. See you guys. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. 
Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY.